This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Morning. It's always a fear of mine uh, that I'm going to screw up and then my mic's not going to be working or something like that. And so uh, I used to work in like the production world at church and uh, I always made fun of the people who got up on stage when their mic didn't work because it was always like that person's fault. But they always like looked at the sound guy like, what did you do this to me for? And then it was their fault. And so I was like, if I ever am the person to be on stage, that's never going to be me. I'm never going to like be the guy to forget to turn his mic on. It's only happened once, but it has happened. So I'm always like double checking to make sure I'm looking like an idiot in front of all the people. So anyway, uh, good morning. My name is Hadley Howe. Um, This is my beautiful wife, Jocelyn. Give him a little, okay. Um, So Pastor Stormy is her uncle, which is my uncle. So um, he asked me to come and and share with you guys uh, this morning. They're out of town. And so I just want to thank him for giving me the opportunity to share with you guys. Um, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just glad to be here, so, so glad you guys came. This service is a lot more full than second service, so you're going to have to do me some, give me some feedback because, you know, it just helps. It makes me feel like I'm not talking to the wall, so I appreciate that. Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but before we get started this morning, um, if you don't mind, um, it's kind of take it down just a little bit. I just, I really believe that we should pray for the Uvalde community. Um, Jocelyn and I were driving. We're from Clovis, um, and, and, and we've got two kids. We've got a little two-year-old girl and almost six-month-old boy. And uh, so we were, we were driving down, and we were reading about everything, and, and it's, just, it's just devastating. You know, Uvalde is like a, a community of like 15,000 people. So it's like a small town. You know, everybody knows everybody. Um, I, I can understand that. And it's just not something that's ever going to happen to you, you know. And, uh, and you could point fingers and criticize and come up with all the reasons and whatever else. But, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. The truth of it is, is there's, there's tragedy, there's trauma, there's little kids who are going to have to live with this kind of stuff for a long time. And at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's the only one that's going to be able to make any kind of res- restitution in their life. And, um, and, 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 you know, this isn't sad to say it, but it's not a surprise to God. And, and, and so we know that he has the ability to work through things that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which is much easier for us to say than it is for them to say. So while it's difficult for them, why don't we have lend our faith to them and believe together for them because I would hope that someday would, do, would, be, would be doing that for us if we ever found ourselves in that situation. Amen? So let's just, let's just pray for them. Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just reach our, 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 our prayers out towards the, the families and the community, Lord, that was ripped apart by such a crazy, evil thing. And, and Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, we just speak peace. Holy Spirit, like, I, I can't even begin to imagine what you could do in a situation like that. But Lord, if anyone can, you're the only one that can. And so we just call on the mighty name of Jesus over every life, Lord, every little child that has so much to process and understand and figure out and questions and all the things. And God, I pray Lord, that there would be a moment that you could interrupt all of that and you could step into their lives and into their families, Lord. And Lord, I just come against any, any bitterness and unforgiveness and hate, hatred, Lord, which I, I can't even imagine not having those emotions. But Lord, I pray that there would be nothing that would come out of this that would pull people away from you. Because the enemy comes only to still kill and destroy. But Jesus, I know that you come to give life and bring it more abundantly. And so Lord, I just speak life into that community, life into those families, into those children, into that school. And Lord, I ask you that you would do what only you can do. And Lord, I just speak over our lives. And Lord, I just pray protection over our lives, over our, our families. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, that there would be moments that if you would give us direction or whisper this thing or whisper that thing, that we wouldn't be hard-hearted or stubborn to those things, but we would be sensitive, that we we would make adjustments and do things that maybe don't make sense in the moment, that that you would help us guide and protect our families. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. And Lord, I thank you that you're doing something that that only you can do. And we we give you permission and we ask you to just empower those people to find you in this Terrible, terrible moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. 
Well, this morning, um, I, uh, I was originally going to um, kind of stay in the same vein as the Holy Spirit series that Pastor Storm has been doing, um, but I had a change of mind, and I really feel like this is what the Lord wants me to share with you, and so he'll pick that back up um, when he gets back, um, and so good, good for him to get some rest and get some, some life, you know, it, it, there's nothing like the beach to just fill your sails, you know, and so, man, I hope Pastor Storm is getting what he needs. But in the meantime, I really feel like there's something that I have for you, for you guys, and it's something that really ministered to me, um, spoke volumes to me, and so I want to share with you today. So obviously I have a shovel, not a normal thing you'd have on a stage when you're about to preach a message. I was walking in with it, and nearly every person I saw was like, do we have a leak? And there must be a, like, a, like a joke about that because everyone was saying it, and I'm like, I don't know why everyone keeps asking me if we have a leak. Apparently that's a thing around here. Occasionally there's leaks. <laughs> So no, there was no leak, I just had the shovel. And so, you know what's funny about shovels is I can only think of one purpose of a shovel that doesn't really require work. And that's like to prop a door open with it or something like that, which it really doesn't do a good job of that anyway. But really, for the most part, this this pretty much is synonymous with work, synonymous with, you know, sore muscles and a sore back and probably some calluses on your hands or some blisters at the least. Um, but it, it requires work, and you know, but, but it's a tool, and it's effective. You know, I mean, I, I've tried to dig a hole and, and without a shovel, and it doesn't go well. You got whatever you can find, rocks, just a spoon, like I don't know. But, it, but a shovel is effective at what it's meant to be used for. It, it is associated with some negative effects as well. I mean, it's not like anyone's, well, here's a question. And I was proven wrong the first time I asked this question, but is there anyone here that would say, Honestly, that you enjoy running a shovel. You, you, okay, all right. See, listen. I don't know what I don't know what your relationship with the shovel is, but my relationship with the shovel is not a good relationship with the shovel. I, I will never say. It. But what's interesting is, you know, if you've used one at all, you know that there is a right way and a wrong way to run a shovel. And if you don't believe me, just run one for about half a day, and by the end of that half a day, you're going to know. Oh, I've been running it wrong. Something. Some. I gotta have to figure this out. But there is a correct way, and you use it, and you figure it out. And you know, when you first start using a shovel, you might not be as effective as a guy who's been running it for a long time. But you just keep practicing with it, if that's what you want to call it, and you'll get better at it. But anyway, my point is this. This shovel's seen a better day. I, I, I stole this from uh, Grandpa Swan. Terry, where is he at? Stole it out of his shed. Yeah, it looks like he's used it some. It's got some dings on it. It's kind of rusted. You know, it looks like it hasn't just leaned up against the wall its whole life. But it's because it's been used. And for some reason, what, what I feel like is I feel like in, in the body of Christ, we're afraid of the shovel. If it's, if it's a little inconvenient, if it's a little uncomfortable, if it makes us sore, if it gives us calluses on our hands, we don't really tend to be the first in line to grab the shovel. And I, I'm not here to tell you and complain and criticize and, and make a big deal out of church. But here's just the thought. It's been said that the reason why the, the world is in the state that it's in today is because we have a bunch of churches who are afraid of the shovel. Because it takes a little work, it takes a little rust, it takes a little dinging, it takes a few muscle cramps, it takes some calluses, it takes doing it wrong to figure out how to do it right. It takes some of that to make a difference in the world that we're living in. It takes someone to raise their hand and say they like to run a shovel in a room full of people who think you're crazy. But it takes some of that. And not a lot of people are into that. They're not not really the first in line to get their hands dirty. And I really believe that that if we could begin to evaluate our lives and, and figure out what is the tool that's in our life to be used for the kingdom and the purposes of God, that we're not using, that we're afraid of. It causes us to get uncomfortable. It, it causes us to be a little intimidated. What is that thing? Because you know, the Bible says that the callings of God are irrevocable. So that means that whether you choose to be and live the life that God has called you to live or not doesn't change the fact that he called you to live it. There's, there's a book that's written about your life every day. And when you get to heaven, it's gonna have the pages still written in it of what you could and should have done, whether you chose to do it or not. It's still gonna be there, it's not gonna change, it's irrevocable, without repentance. The plan of God for your life is better than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. But the problem is, is it comes with a little work. 
It comes with some dinging and some rust and some calluses on your hands. It comes with a sore back every once in a while. It comes with a few mistakes to figure out how to do it right. But you're never going to find the fullness of God's plan in your life if you just look at the shovel, lean up against the wall, and expect the hole to get dug by itself. And what's interesting about it, if you read throughout the Bible, there's this one story where uh, there was a prophet, and, and, and they, they wandered off. They, they were uh, going to war, which the war really wasn't a war they should have been fighting anyway. And they went, and they went a direction they shouldn't have gone, and they ended up in the middle of the desert, and there was no water, and, and there was no, they, they were just starving for water. For, you know, and they were about to try to go, they hadn't even fought yet. And they were like, God, you, you're going to abandon us out here. We're going to die, and then we're gonna, it's all going to be for nothing. And so it was this crazy thing. And in the middle of their stubbornness, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet and says, listen, um, you need to have them go dig holes, dig ditches out in this dry desert place, and, and I'll, I'll bring the rain, I'll bring the water, and they'll be full of, full of water. And so they go and they dig the ditch. I don't know about you, but digging ditches in the heat of the sun, with or without a shovel, when I'm thirsty and after I've been marching isn't my idea of a good time. But sometimes you've got to do some of this uncomfortable stuff in the middle of these moments. And then you know what happened? The Lord showed up. Even in their stubbornness, even in their, their rebellion, God still showed up and filled the trenches with water. And they were able to take drinks and, and go on and do what they were and conquer. It was in the middle of their stubbornness. But they had to be willing to get their hands dirty. They had to be willing to do the thing that didn't make sense or they didn't want to do in order for the Lord to show up on their behalf and do something that only God could do. But sometimes it takes a little bit of the, the shovel to get the job done. And it's interesting, there's a guy that I know, um, I knew, he's passed away. Um, his name is Von Gerald. He's big, big guy. He, I mean, he could have stood up, he was this prof, prophet. I mean, he could have stood up here with this room full, even the balcony, and I mean, he didn't need a mic. You could have heard every word. I mean, he was just a, you, you know the type of guy. And I got to know him. He was from the UK, and he moved to America. He was a missionary, traveled all over the world. He had like six kids, and all six kids were born in different countries. I mean, he was just a crazy guy. And uh, anyway, so he moves to upstate New York and plants a church. Anyways, and so it was later on that I got to know the guy, and he was just a phenomenal guy. And so he was telling this story one time, and he says, you know, as a, as a guy from the UK, he's a big rugby guy. He doesn't really like football, uh, American football, and he makes fun of American football all the time. He's like, man, you guys in your American football, y'all a bunch of sissies having to wear helmets and a pad, and he'd just go on and on all the time. But anyway, but he made this, this uh, joke about football versus rugby. He said, you know, when I was growing up and we were going to go play rugby, he said, we'd just show up. Whoever wanted to play showed up, and then we'd just start playing. And as we began to play, everybody began to find their position, find their place on the team, and then they would play the game. He said, but for you guys, and he, he always, when he was talking about American football, he never associated. And he was like, for you guys and your football teams, he said, you show up with your position in mind. He's like, I'm a kicker, I'm a quarterback, I'm a linebacker, whatever you are, and I'm here to play that position. And so then you have to wait for an opportunity to do what you want to do. He said, why is it, he said, that in the American church, we, we want to wait to participate until we know what we're going to be doing. Why do we wait to participate until there's an opportunity for us to do what we want to do? Instead of just all uniting together with the common goal of moving the ball down the field and figuring out what position I'm best suited in this congregation of people. Because, you know, if 10 kickers show up, they're not all going to be the same. Somebody's going to be better than somebody else. Why would I reserve my position as a kicker if I know that somebody's better than me? That is, that is not a team-minded person. That is a me-minded person. And there's no way you're going to win as a team if that's my perspective. And so he's like, so why is the church, well, I think it's, that's the accurate, accurate of it, accuracy of it. We're, we, if this, no one, if I was like, listen, okay, now because somebody's going to be the hero, but if I was like, I got a ditch to dig, who wants to do it? There's not probably very many of you who would be first in line for that because your goal is about you and not about the ditch that needs to be dug. But as, as the body of Christ, if we would be, if we would be more mission-minded and what the Lord wants us to do, then we're going to be looking for opportunities to be a part of the team to move the ball down the field. We're not going to be so worried about what the part is. Because here's what I know. I know that if we would become less and if, if we would become less and he would become greater. And those who are least will be first. And so if we'll be, if we'll be faithful with the little thing, then, then he'll make us charge over much. But sometimes it looks like maybe a shovel and some calluses and a sore back. 
But we gotta be faithful with those little things because I think the Lord wants to do something great in us, but we're just waiting for the opportunity of what looks right and feels good, and, and sometimes it doesn't always come that way. And so I'm not saying that you're to blame or I'm to blame. What I'm saying is, is if we would all just focus on the thing that's in front of us, together we would do something great, and who knows, we might be the reason why the world begins to shift back to looking at the things of God. You know, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times we see where we're at in the, in the, in the ugly that we're in, just like, the, just like the Uvalde thing. I mean, that's a terrible, terrible thing. And you see where that's at and you see where we're at, where we're at versus where we want to be. And the, and, the, and the distance between seems overwhelming. It's like, I don't know how in the world we're going to get there. It's not about figuring that out. It's about each one of us grabbing our shovel and doing our thing in our lane and working towards the common goal of everyone else. And the next thing you know, the distance between where we're at and where we wanna be begins to shrink. It's not because we knew the, the solution, the fix all, that would immediately make everything okay. We just didn't quit. We didn't shy away from opportunity. We didn't shy away from something that was un inconvenient or uncomfortable. We, we, we opened ourselves up, we yielded ourselves to the, to the things of God and we said, Lord, listen, if you've got a book written about my life, I wanna be in the book. I want to be living out of the pages of the book that you wrote about my life. And if it means that I have to spend some time behind a shovel, then so be it. Because if I'll be faithful with this little thing, then God, I know you'll make me charge over something greater. Not so I can be greater, but so that I can do more for the kingdom of God. But sometimes it starts with the shovel. It starts with some dings and some rust and some mistakes. But man, I, I don't know about you, but I'm very glad that God is better at keeping me than I am at getting away from him. And even though we run from our shovel, <laughs> everywhere you turn it, and there's another one leaning up against the wall. You're like, I just can't get away from the dang thing because God's better at keeping you than, than he is at getting away. And he won't ever give you something that you can't handle. But no one's gonna be first in line for the shovel. And I think that maybe, just maybe, that might be something that we need to begin to reevaluate because, yeah, there are better ways to dig a hole, but there are for sure worse ways to dig a hole. And I, I don't want to keep fumbling around all the other things, just avoiding the one thing that get the job done. Amen? <clears throat> and so I think, and, and, and this is just, reason I'm sharing this with you guys is because in my own life, this was conviction for me. Because I realized that I was avoiding, I was, I, I had my heart had turned against you know, I was just critical, fault finding. I was always finding something that could have been done better. And I was like, you know what? I felt like the Lord was like, what, what could you be doing better? And it was just, it was really good for me. And so one of the things that I feel like the Lord showed me, and I've kind of experienced this growing up. Um, I grew up on a ranch, and so my dad was always on me for sitting around and not helping. And so it kind of teaches you to be aware of what's going on. And so there's this, this, this phrase, find a need and fill it. And I think that as the church, if we'd stop being so concerned about what the thing is and just say, hey, this is what needs to be done, are you willing to, to do it? Are you willing to give it a try? It might look like a shovel, but if no one else is stepping up, then maybe I should be the guy to step up. If, if, there's, if there's something that needs to be done, like I, 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 it's hard for me to just sit and watch somebody else step up and do it. Just, just because I think that that's the right thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to do to, to evaluate your, your surroundings and find the areas that you can jump in. And so I'm not just talking about church as an organization. I'm talking about the things in your life, whatever it is. I mean, because the truth of it is, first service, there was a lot of people missing. And, and we, I, made the, I made the comment about the fact that the church isn't this building. And it's really not you particular people. It's the body of Christ as a whole. And so whether you're here in church or not, there's still a job that needs to be done. And it actually goes with you wherever you go. It doesn't mean we need more people. I mean, and they might shoot me for saying this, but, but it doesn't mean you need more people running cameras or sitting at the doors, although those are very incredible places to serve and to share the love of God. But it's what's the need and how can you be a part of filling it and, and, and being willing to do the thing that maybe nobody else wants to do. And so I think we have to begin to develop this find a need and fill it mentality to begin to see and make the difference around the lives that we live, amen? And so today I'm gonna to start reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, 14 through 16. So verse 14 says, don't minimize the powerful gift that operates in your life. 
For it was imparted to you by the laying on of hands of the elders and was activated through prophecy that they spoke over you. Make all of this your constant meditation and make it real with your life so that everyone can see that you're moving forward. What I love about the way that it phrases that is it doesn't say um, so that everyone can see that you have it all together. It doesn't say that. It says so that everyone can see that you're moving forward or other translation says making progress. That's the point. The point is when they look at your life and they see all the crazy that's going on in your life, are you quitting and giving up? Are you pressing in and trusting God? Not do you have it all together and nothing ever goes wrong because we all know that that's not the case. So don't put that expectation on your life that people are looking at you to see if you're perfect because they're wrong if that's what they're expecting. But truthfully, the most hopeful thing that you can give to somebody is when in your time of crisis, you don't quit and give up and they see you work through it with the help of God. And then when they find themselves in the exact same position, they have faith and belief that they can do it because you did it. If you never reveal your vulnerabilities, then they live in this world where they feel so far less than because you never have anything wrong in your life, which is 100% not the case. But if that's the picture that we present, then what are we giving people? And so I think it's so important that we realize that the life we live is evidence that we're moving forward and that's what people see. In verse 16, it says, give careful attention to your spiritual life and every cherished truth that you teach. For living what you preach will release even more abundant life inside you and also to those who listen to you. And in, in the NLT version, verse 16 says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching to stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. It's crazy to me when I read that, what's crazy to me is to think that your life influences, just your life influences the salvation of the people around you. That is crazy to me. When you think about the people in your life that are unsaved or not living for God, and you're like, what can I do? What is the life that you're living? Because it's not just for the sake of your own salvation, but it's also for the sake of theirs. And to run away from the call of God on your life because of the inconvenience, the uncomfortability of it, the calluses that you may acquire, to think that that only affects you is, is, is not accurate. When you read, like in Jonah, Jonah, many of you are familiar, Jonah knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go deliver a word from the Lord to Nineveh. And he's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh for X, Y, Z reasons. He didn't like them primarily. He thought that they deserved what, they were, what was coming to him. And he didn't want to help them. And so he's like, I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to go do something different. And all of you know, he ended up on a boat, big ship. He got thrown over the thing. He got swallowed by a fish. And, and many make it all about Jonah, but here's the truth. They were on the ship, and you can imagine, they were with sailors, so like uh, uh, storms at sea is not like an unusual thing. But for whatever reason, this storm was so to a degree that they were all thinking that the gods were upset at them. So that means that this is not an ordinary storm. And what turns out, Jonah's disobedience did not only affect him, but it jeopardized the lives of all the people that were around him. And he had to take responsibility for his decisions in order to save their life. So whenever you are looking at the thing that you're shying away from and thinking that it's just my future that I'm messing with, that may not actually be accurate. That sometimes your willingness to grab the shovel and do the thing that nobody else wants to do might be the very thing that causes salvation in the people's lives around you that you love. And if for no other reason, then that's a pretty dang good one. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment, to love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What I think is interesting about this is he could have said a lot of different things here that, that would say it would prove to the world. Yet he said the way that you love one another is the way that you're going to prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not how much money you give, not how much time you serve, not how many prayers you pray, not how much, many times you read the Bible front to back. Those are all great things, but, but he's not including those in the evidence to the world that you, are, that you belong to Christ. The evidence to the world that you belong to Christ is your love for one another. And the, the hard part about it is if, if me doing the uncomfortable thing is what causes you to know that I love you, but I choose not to do it, then what am I saying? 
I don't love you. I love me. And so really, my life is about me because I don't want to do the thing that God's called me to do. And it only affects me. It's only going to be my life that, that gets, you know, doesn't prosper and doesn't bless, but everyone else can have their own life. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. All I'm saying is there's more at stake than just you not wanting to do what you don't want to do. And I believe that if we could love one another, we would, we would do the thing that maybe we don't want to do for the sake of the people around us. And if everyone chose to prefer the person around I, I remember being in college. And when I got to college, I went to college at, in Portales at Enemu. And I remember I didn't really know as, as much about the, the, the things of God and being in the community as, as I did whenever I really started living it four or five days a week. And so when I started going to college and getting involved in this co college Bible study group type deal, um, we spent a lot of time together. We did ministry together. We went on mission trips together. We did all kinds of stuff together. And what was funny is occasionally amongst us, we'd start like getting at each other, bickering and, you know, just not being nice. College kids stuff. If you're in college, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just you just get your feelings on your sleeve and you just want to throw a fit and talk crap and just be young. And, and so there would be times when it would kind of escalate. And this lady who was our pastor, she'd sit us down. And she says, here, this is, this is about what's going to go down. She was like, what we're going to do here is we're going to love each other. And we're going to prefer each other. And we're going to honor the giftings in each other. And that's what we're going to do. She said, we're not going to have any more of this. She said, so if you can't do that, you can go ahead and leave now because we're not going to tolerate this anymore. The only way we're going to move forward is if we continue, if we, if, we, if we begin to pray for each other, love each other, and honor each other. I'm telling you, nobody got up when she said that. And it wasn't like, who are you to talk to us like that? It was convicting because in our souls we knew we were wrong because we were more concerned about who knows what, pride, being right, not caring about the person around us. And it, it was truth. And so we had to reset. We had to, we had to dial it back a little bit and begin to love each other and pray for each other and allow that to begin to be the thing that we focused on. So if we're going to be known by the, to the world who, that we're followers of Christ, then we have to begin to be prepared to do the thing that's hard. But I know this. If you have run a shovel and you run it for that half a day and figure out there's a better way to do it, you'll figure it out. And you'll, it'll get easier. But, but it's not going to get easier if you don't ever do it. That hard thing, that, that, that difficulty in loving people, that difficulty in trying not, to not be offended and to not always be right and not allow your pride and your arrogance to, to rise up above your love and preference for, for one another, that's not always going to be easy. But as you continue to do it, you begin to practice. And you know, here's the truth. You're practicing Jesus because that's his opinion of people. And so as you begin to practice that, that's, that's the way, that's his desire for our lives. And if we have Christ living in us, then it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so as I begin to align myself with the truth of who he is and who he wants me to be, then I begin to really fall into more, I guess you could say, alignment with who I truly am as, as an image bearer of Christ. But it takes grabbing it and using it a little bit to figure out how not to do it in order to figure out how to do it. Amen? And so in, in the same vein as loving one another, which means you have to love yourself, you, you can't prefer yourself over other people, John 3, verse 30, says that he must increase Jesus and I must decrease. He, he, he must become greater so that I can become less, or I must become less so that he can become greater. It has to begin to be about Jesus more than about me. Because if it's always about me, then I'm always going to run away from things that I don't want to do. Every time. Why in the world would I put myself in a position to get hurt, to be uh, manipulated, taken advantage of? Why would I do that if, if I was only doing it for me? I wouldn't. I would never do that. But when I begin to love people and put myself out there for people to love them, then it gives me opportunity to be hurt. But it's because I love people. And Jesus, Jesus is going to bless you. He's going to love you because that's what he did. He put himself out there to be hurt. And so we're called to love one another. Mark 12, 30, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And so if that's what we're called to do, to, to, to prove our love and, and, to, and to be evidence that we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we've got to begin to prefer ourselves less. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. How many of you guys can, can agree with me that that's a pretty accurate description of some of the world that we're living in today? And you know what? I don't ever want it to be said of me that my love grew cold. But you know what? That is not something that happens by accident. You know, if you're boiling water and you set the pot on the burner that's not on, how long is it going to take to boil? It's never going to boil. The heat of your love for each other is something you have to be actively pursuing. Because the truth of it is, the only way to love people that you don't want to love and to be loving people in a world that is against loving people is to have the love of God that's loving through you. You know, this is funny. I thought about this earlier and I didn't say it, so I probably should say it. There was a friend of mine, and I say it, it's funny, but, but when we were in college, we were, he, we were just not getting along at all. And we were together one time by ourselves, and he says, you know, I haven't been praying for you. Or what did he say? Yeah, I have been praying for you. That's why I don't like you. <laughs> and so I guess, I guess that's the thing. You just got to pray for people, and then maybe the Lord will begin to shift your heart towards them. But in all the lawlessness... Being critical and fault-finding and, and having an opinion, everybody's got an opinion. But that's not the thing that's going to get the job done. What's going to get the job done is, is it reinforcing the love that you have for each other. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you keep your love kindled with the Father. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38, and I have a lot of scripture. Um, I guess I, I, I was, should have prefaced this. But the reason why... I mean, it's obviously, the, you know, the best way to teach. But in my opinion, it's easy to have conversations like this when it's the word of God. Because I'm not here to tell you my opinion. I'm not here to say you got it all wrong and, 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 and bring out the ugly stick because you've been screwing around or whatever. The, the point is, is the word of God is like, listen, this is what's important to me. People are important to me. You know, it was said that when man sinned against God, we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. What happened when man sinned against man? He destroyed the earth. So to me, it puts it on a scale, the importance of how we treat one another and what our, what our, what our mode of operation is when we're dealing with each other. He's like, I'm a big God and I can handle whenever you get upset with me. But if you're going to treat each other like this, I'm going to have an issue. And so I think that it's so important that when we're looking at the world we're living in and, and we're, we're, we're coming to church and we're involved, being involved or not being involved or we have opinions about this or we want to be critical of this or we're trying to push back here, we have to re, reevaluate things and say, what is our, what is our motivation? Why are, we, why are these thoughts in my head? Are they, are they selfish thoughts? Are they, are they elevated thoughts? Are they, are they from a place of, of, of arrogance? Or am I doing my best to, to evaluate my life and figure out where, what, what is in my life that can contribute to the kingdom of God? What is in my lane that I can do? What is the need that I can fill? And how can I love people as I do it? Because if that's our focus, then we're not going to have time to be complaining and having opinions and being fault-finding and critical. And at the end of the day, the truth of it is, I don't want that seed coming back on me. I don't want to be so critical and fault-finding as if I've got nothing to be wrong, and then the next thing you know, because of all the faults that I found in everyone else, all of a sudden now everyone's finding the faults in me. I got plenty of faults, and I don't need anybody to tell me what they are because I'm pretty well aware of a lot of them. I don't want to be focused on your faults because the truth of it is the Holy Spirit will convict you if you'll keep yielding yourself to him. If you'll keep keeping your head down and focus on the thing that's in front of you and not shying away from a little inconvenience. You know, uh, a lot of times when, when, when growing up, going ahead and do a little manual labor, it, it, a lot of my grandparents say that let's build in character. Sometimes doing the hard work is what develops your spiritual, spiritual in, integrity with the Father. Doing a, little, doing a little sweating and doing a little back working, you know, whatever it is. The thing that you don't want to do is probably the thing that the Lord's using to, to really secure the integrity of who he's called you to be. In Matthew 9, so anyway, so I just wanted to say all that. So in Matthew 9, verse 37, it says, He said to his disciples, the harvest is great and the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. 
So here's what I, what I get out of that. Obviously, we live in a world that's, that's, that's in need of rescuing. You know, It's in need of people to love one another. But there's not a lot of us who are willing to grab the shovel. So what that means is the people who are willing to grab the shovel need to be taking care of themselves. Because if you work yourself to the bone, then there's nothing left to give, and you're not any good to you or anyone else. And so you've got to make sure you're in a place where you're being built up and being filled up. You're not always giving out because there's a lot of work to be done. And if all you ever do is give, 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 then you're going to give out. And we've got to take care of ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, I love this. It says, who is Apollos really? Or who is Paul? Aren't we both just servants to whom you believed our message? Aren't you each, aren't each of us doing the ministry that the Lord has assigned us to? I was the one who planted the church, and Apollos came and cared for it, but it was God who caused it to grow. This means that the one who plants is not anyone special, nor the one who waters, for it is God who is the one who brings the supernatural growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equally important and on the same team, but each will be, be rewarded for his work. And so I love this on a bunch of levels. So, so first of all, he's saying, listen, what is, what is the, the ministry assignment that you've been called to specifically? And, and if you know what that is, then don't, don't prop yourself up uh, above the next guy over who's got his own ministry assignment that's been given to him. Because all are necessary to get the job done. But no one's more important than the one who causes the increase. We all play our part. And it's necessary for me to plant in order for someone to water. If someone waters where there's no seed, then it's just wetting the ground. But because I did my job and you did your job, then the Lord is the one who comes and causes the increase. But the other thing that I think is interesting about this is a lot of times I think that we will look at the, 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 the thing, whatever it is, if it's a shovel, whatever is in your life, or, or in this situation with the seed, and we'll look and we'll say, listen, my job is to plant the seed, but, but I'm going to go ahead and put on the, the, the job of the guy next to me, and maybe after that, the other guy, and I'm going to say, you know what, this ground, by my evaluation, is not fit for the seed. So, because of that, I'm not going to throw the seed. Well, if I don't throw the seed, then the next guy can't do his job. And, it, and if he doesn't do his job, then what is there for the Lord to increase? So I think a lot of times we'll hold back our gifts and our talents and our callings and, and all of these things because of these evaluations and I'm smarter and I know better and I have an opinion and all of these things. And so therefore, I'm not going to do this thing. And the Lord's like, listen, I can cause increase in any situation. All I need you to do is what I'm asking you to do. I don't need you to do all of this. I don't need you to, to evaluate and, and put your definition on things. I just need you to continue to do what I'm asking you to do. Because if everyone decided that they were smarter than everybody else, then nothing would ever get done. Because anybody can walk in here with an opinion. And anybody can walk in here and find a fault or criticize something. And based off of that, they're not going to do this thing, X, Y, Z. And therefore, God's not going to have anything to increase. The music's too loud, or whatever the thing is in your life, you don't have enough money, or, or, or whatever it is. Your family's not where it wants to be. There's always a reason not to do the thing God's calling you to do. But it wasn't your job to evaluate all those things. All he's called you to do is sow the seed. And if you'll keep sowing, and the next guy keeps watering, then the Lord will always cause the increase. But we just gotta, we gotta stay in our lane and stop trying to be the boss of everybody. And try to figure out all, there's, I, don't, I don't believe the only one blanket solution is Jesus. And everybody knows that. Whatever blanket, I feel like we all have this idea of what, what will fix it all. And, it, and there's a hundred, in a hundred people, there's a hundred different solutions that'll fix everything. And obviously that's not the case because then we wouldn't be in the mess in the world that we're, we're in today because Jesus is the true answer. But we get so distracted by what we think and what we believe and, and this and that and the other that we start losing sight of the one thing that the Lord is asking us to do. And I really, really believe, and with all my heart, I really believe that if we would just own enough of ourselves to do the last thing that we know the Lord asks us to do and everyone begin to do that in succession, that we'd begin to see God move in ways that he's not moved in maybe ever. But we gotta start we got to start doing what we've been called to do, and, and we got to start valuing 
what the next guy's doing equally to what we're doing because there's no part of this that's more important than the next. <clears throat> In Psalms 133, and Pastor, Pastor Stormy talks about this a lot and he's talked to me a lot about it and he preached a lot on the unity of the brethren. And he says, you know, that's something we got to fight for. He says, I pray for it. I wrestle in the spirit that we would maintain unity in this particular body. And in, in, in Psalms 133, it says that in the unity of the brethren is where God commands his blessing. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the place where God is commanding his blessing. But here's what I think. I, I think that unity is more than just being in agreement. It's not just that we don't have an issue. Unity is that we're linked arm in arm moving in the same direction, with the same goal and the same purpose, with, 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 with a leveled field of honor and respect for the people around us. Unity of the brethren looks like I'm gonna continue to sow my seed, which, which is what's gonna, while you continue to water that seed and we're gonna continue together to believe God to do something great in our midst. That's to me what unity looks like. And the only way we can continue to have that unity is when we continue to choose to pick up the shovel that's, that the Lord has given to us to use. To serve, to serve him, to serve the community, to serve the church, to serve people around us, whatever it is. That's how I, that, I believe that's how you, how you establish unity, is by putting yourself aside, becoming less so that he can become greater, and, and, and beginning to prefer the people around you, and love your neighbor as yourself, just like the, just like the commandment says. You know, what I've found in, in my own life, and maybe this is not here, but what I've found is the people with the loudest opinions are usually the least invested. Because if you're truly a part of wanting the ball to move down the field, as long as the ball's moving down the field, then you're happy because that's, what you, that, that's the goal. But, but if, if, if my preferences become more important than the purpose, then we've lost sight of where we're going. And, and God can't command his blessing in a place where preference is more important than purpose. And so I believe that as we humble ourselves and do the thing that God's asking us to do, we'll begin to be more purposed than preferenced, <laughs> if you can say it like that. And I believe that offense and pride are the two main areas that the church falls out of unity. And that's just something that we all know and we have to keep a, keep a check in because the enemy's sneaky. And what I love is in 2 Corinthians, it just paints this picture so well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 3 and 4, um, it says, but I'm afraid that the serpent, I'm, 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 excuse me, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ, which another translation says, um, from the simplicity that's in Jesus. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one whom we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily. But, but the thing I want to key on here is the part of the deception from the simplicity that's in Christ. Because it's sneaky, and the enemy's trying, he's trying to, to snag you up. But the deal is, is it's, it's, not, it's not difficult, and it's not complicated. Excuse me, it probably is difficult, but it's not complicated. And it's, it's, it's the simplicity of Jesus. And I think the world wants to try to pull us away into every other corner, to try to get us hung up. At the end of the day, like I said before, there is one generalized blanket solution, and it's Jesus. But it's going to start, the only way that people are going to know that and the world is going to experience that is from us each grabbing our shovel and doing the thing that God's asking us to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so as we each commit to saying, God, I'm gonna yield my life to you. I'm not committing to get it right every time, I'm just committing to never giving up. And as I continue to yield my life to you, we're gonna begin to, to do the things he's asking us to do. And as we do that together, then by the Holy Spirit, he'll begin to work us together 
to, to the completion of the, of the functioning body that can accomplish the thing that's in his heart to accomplish in the earth. And so at the end of the day, you know, like, like I was, I, I can't remember if I said this this service or first service, but it popped in my head about Moses. And Moses started with only one mission in mind, and that was just to cross over, go confront Pharaoh, and say, listen, you got to let my people go. That was the only thing he had. It didn't include the plagues. It didn't include the Red Sea. It didn't include being wandering in the desert with no food or water. It didn't include any of those things. It was just, here's what I need you to do. And inside of that one commission, I believe that Moses had everything he needed to get the job done. So when you're looking at the thing that's in your hand, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what my thing is. I don't know, and if I, if maybe if you do know what it is you're, you're a little intimidated by. Listen, God has given you everything you need to do the job that he's called you to do. And if you don't know all the details, you just keep moving. You just keep going. Because as Moses went, it began to develop in route. He got there, and then when he got there, then they did the, the, the staff that turned into the serpent thing. That wasn't, in the, that wasn't in the playbook. It wasn't in Moses' playbook. It was probably in God's playbook, but it wasn't in Moses' playbook. And then, and then after that, there was the plagues. And then after that, they crossed the Red Sea. And all these things were things that happened as he went, that he was more than capable of accomplishing but it was as he went that he developed these things. They were, as he went, as it, as, it, as it became clear to him. And so I, I believe that in, in our life, we, we have to begin to, to trust him. That even though we're, we're where we are and we, and we see where we want to be, I don't know what it's going to take to get there, but I know that you've got what it takes. I don't know what it's going to take to get there, but I know that the Lord has empowered you because he didn't call you to abandon you. And as you go, he'll equip you. And as you go, you'll find yourself in the places doing the things. And there's going to be a moment in your time that, that you're going to stumble. And you're going to realize that that was not the way to use a shovel. I'm going to have to take a couple of days off now because of how I did that. But you know what? I bet I don't do that again. And there's grace. There's grace for you in the season that you're in. So what I'd like to do as we end service, I would like for us, so how it affected me, and that's what I want to, I want to, I want to share with you is, is I was critical. I had opinion about everything. And I, and I was invested with an opinion. And I was, I, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems, and I can't say that I know how to be a part of all the solutions, but I do know this. I know that I cannot be a part of the problem. And I think we can agree on that, that we can agree to love one another and prefer one another and to, and to begin to ask the Lord to show us the, the giftings inside of people. That when, whenever you say, I'm praying for you, you're not just saying, Lord, I pray for them. But you're saying, Lord, show me something specific about them. That you would, you would, you would allow the Holy Spirit to begin to, to, to do something inside of you that would shift the way that you think. That, that instead of looking at this as a, a shovel and work, you would look at it as an easier way to dig a hole. Now, are there easier ways? Probably, but there are definitely harder ways. That when you look at the opportunities that the Lord is bringing to you, you would see them as opportunities to be faithful with the little so that way he can give you charge over much. Because the world we're living in isn't going to fix itself. It's going to take you and I just being brave enough to grab the shovel, be willing to get a few calluses, but you know what? At the end of the day, with the rust and the nicks and the, and the, and the sore back, I'm going to be stronger and wiser. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a better game plan. And I'm going to be a... And you know the truth of it is, if I dig a hole and it's hard work, and you come along and kick dirt in my hole, I'm going to be really upset with you. But if I didn't dig the hole and you come and kick dirt in, my, in that hole, I'm not going to care as much. But after I work hard and figure out and commit to God and yield to Him... It's an investment, and I'm not going to give it up easily. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for that hole to be what it meant, was meant to be. I'm going to fight for my life to be what it was meant to be because I worked really hard, and I overcame a whole lot to get to this point to just quit now. I trusted him with things that I didn't think I could trust him with to get to this point to quit now. 
I don't know what the future looks like. Personally, I don't know. Jocelyn, I don't know what our future looks like. But we have worked hard, and we have overcame a lot to give up now. And so we just got to keep working hard. We kept keep grabbing the shovel, being willing to yield ourselves and give him opportunity to do something in our life that only he can do, to love one another, be more worried about the people around us than we are about ourselves. You know, the word says a greater love, greater love, how's it go? There's no greater love than this, whatever, that one man would lay down his life for another, one friend would lay down his life for another. And you know, I got to thinking about it one day. I'm like, you know, I really believe that it'd be easier for me to take a bullet for a stranger than it would be to live my life for that person. But what would it look like? What would it look like? I just have to wonder, what would it look like if we sacrificed our life living for people? Not in death. That's a moment. To live for someone is a lifetime. And Jesus really doesn't even want us to live for him as much as he wants us to live for each other. And I believe that if we can do that, we will see things happen in our lifetime that, you could, that they'll have to write books about. It's a big deal. But we can do it. The church can do it. The body of Christ can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like to do as we're closing, and I'm, I've gone a little bit long, is I just want to pray. And the prayer partners, if you wouldn't mind coming up. And, and if you just, if this has just hit you in any type of way, and you're like, man, I just need to repent, or I just, I just, this is this has got me, and I know that I need to do things differently. I just want to, I'm just going to open up a time of ministry, and, and we'll conclude. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. But we yield our lives to you, God, and whatever it is that you've given us, whether it's a shovel, finances, a family, whatever it is, God, I pray that we wouldn't shy away, but we would lean in and we would trust you, even when it's difficult, that we would invest ourselves in our lives, God, that, that even when it gets difficult, that we would be to such a point that we, we're not going to give up, no matter how hard it gets, because we've come too far. And you would use us, you would give us confidence, strength, and hope to continue forward. And Lord, even if we don't have the full picture and we don't know everything that we're, that we're doing, God, that, that we would just stay focused on what we're doing in this moment. And then we'll be focused on the next thing. And Lord, we're just going to trust you and your faithfulness that you'll take care of us and you'll reveal things to us as we go. But I love you and I praise you. And, I, and God, I just repent in this moment for the arrogance and the pride and the criticism and the fault finding and the opinions. Lord, I just want to be focused on you. And I want to love people. And I ask that you would help us to do that today in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.